How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Hello, EMS World listeners. Welcome to our July 2020 article read aloud and podcast. My name is Jonathan Bassett, Editorial Director of EMS World. We're very pleased you are joining us today. Today's article read aloud and podcast focuses on double sequential external defibrillation. First, we will present the article appearing in our July 2020 issue, Double External Defibrillation, What the Science Says, and that was written by co-authors Ian Drennan and Dr. Sheldon Cheskis. Following the article, read aloud, please stay tuned for an exclusive Q&A with Ian Drennan, one of the authors of that article. Anyone who has worked on the road long enough can remember a patient who, despite their best attempts at resuscitation, stubbornly remained in ventricular fibrillation, or VF. Patients who present to emergency medical services in shockable rhythms are considered to have a high probability of survival. But what happens when these patients don't respond to initial care? According to Advanced Cardiac Life Support, ALCS, algorithms, if we perform CPR and defibrillation, administer antiarrhythmics and epinephrine, and a patient remains in VF, then we do it again. And if that doesn't work, we do it again and again, hoping that with enough attempts, it will result in a return of spontaneous circulation or ROSC. We know, however, that approximately 20% of patients with initial VF don't respond to initial defibrillation attempts, and the more shocks required to terminate VF, the worse a patient does. Einstein noted that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, so why do we continue to repeat the same treatments during cardiac arrest, yet we expect anything different? Double sequential external defibrillation, or DSED, has been touted as the next promising treatment for refractory VF patients, but what does the science say? Recently, the authors of this article published the dose VF, or double sequential external defibrillation for refractory ventricular uh, fibrillation pilot randomized controlled trial. This was the first RCT to examine the use of DSED for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, and it overcame many of the methodological deficiencies of previous research. The exact mechanism behind DSED is not known. There are multiple hypotheses, including additional energy, the alternative vector of energy created by a change in pad position, and changes in impedance threshold based on the delivery of two sequential shocks. Prior to this study, there were a number of case reports and case series, as well as five observational comparison studies. The previous research consisted of a number of case reports and case series, as well as five comparison studies. Case reports and case series, while interesting, typically represent nothing more than a selection bias of unique cases and therefore are unable to provide evidence to the benefit or risk of DSED.
This leaves us with a small handful of observational studies that demonstrated the use of DSED had no association or was associated with worse clinical outcomes, such as ROSC, survival, and neurological outcome, compared to standard practice. These studies, however, have limitations that hinder interpretation of the effect of the intervention. These limitations are important to our current understanding of DSED. Double sequential defibrillation is generally performed in observational studies as a rescue therapy when patients do not respond to standard resuscitation treatment. This often results in a delay to treatment, creating a biased comparison to patients who only received standard defibrillation attempts. This effect has been called resuscitation time bias. Resuscitation time bias occurs in observational cardiac arrest research when the probability of receiving an intervention increases the period of time a patient is in cardiac arrest. This occurs with placement of an advanced airway, administration of epinephrine, and in this case, the use of DSED. The problem in these cases is that the patient outcome may have more to do with the duration of the cardiac arrest than the intervention itself, therefore falsely diminishing the effect of the intervention. And without properly controlling for the time of the intervention or other variables that may impact survival, it's challenging to make sense of these studies. One of the other questions with DSED that observational studies can't answer involves its application. There are differences in the technique used to perform DSED, pressing the two shock buttons simultaneously versus sequentially, the energy delivered, and placement of the defibrillator pads. These are all questions to which we do not yet have answers in terms of optimizing DSED. Perhaps more important is the variability in the timing of the initial DSED shock across the observational studies. In some studies, the initial shock is performed after the third standard defibrillation, in others after the sixth, and in still others after 10 or more standard defibrillation attempts. This makes it almost impossible to compare the use of DSED across different studies. The DSED pilot study attempted to answer some of these unknowns by applying strict protocols and techniques of application. The pilot study was a three-arm cluster RCT. Each paramedic service involved was randomly assigned to one of three study arms, standard defibrillation, vector change or VC defibrillation, or double sequential defibrillation. Paramedic services were randomly assigned to a different intervention, crossed over, at six-month intervals throughout the trial for a total of six different intervention periods. Patients were assumed to be in refractory VF and included in the trial if they were found in an initial shockable rhythm and had three consecutive shocks delivered. These patients were then enrolled in the dose VF RCT and the intervention was ideally applied at the fourth rhythm analysis. All defibrillator pads were initially placed in the anterior lateral or AL position as per standard practice. Vector change defibrillation was applied by changing pads from the AL position to the anterior posterior or AP position, and DSED was applied by adding a second set of pads in the AP position. 
DSED was performed by a single paramedic pressing the shock button of the first and then second defibrillator in rapid succession. This technique was felt to be important to ensure the shock buttons were not pressed simultaneously, minimizing the rare likelihood of defibrillator damage during DSED. The main outcome of the pilot study was to examine the feasibility of performing the trial in the pre-hospital setting. The secondary outcomes were ROSC, termination of VF, and ROSC at ED arrival. Results. The pilot study found performing the study in the field was feasible with high rates of compliance with the study interven uh, intervention arm around 90% and intervention shocks given at shock number four or or five in 89% of cases. This suggests paramedics performed the trial intervention very well during the pilot study. Of secondary outcomes, termination of VF was higher in both intervention arms compared to standard defibrillation. Similarly, rates of ROSC were also higher for both intervention arms compared to standard defibrillation. Interestingly, the DSED appeared to have a higher ROSC at ED arrival than both VC and standard defibrillation. It is important that this study was not designed to statistically compare patient outcomes across the age groups as it is an internal pilot study. The, the patients will be included as part of the ongoing full RCT and so survival to hospital discharge could not be reported for these patients. Key differences. While this wouldn't be the first time we've seen a treatment improve ROSC without having a meaningful effect on survival to hospital discharge, there are some key differences in this study. In studies examining epinephrine and antiarrhythmics for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, the intervention was not applied until an average of 20 minutes into the cardiac arrest. In the case of DSED, it is applied at the fourth rhythm analysis, which would occur approximately seven minutes into a resuscitation. We know one of the biggest determinants of survival is the duration of cardiac arrest, and in this case, DSED is associated with early ROSC. There are still many unanswered questions related to the use of double sequential external defibrillation. While it is essential that we wait for the results of the full RCT to determine its true impact on patient survival, this study does provi uh, provide us with some evidence that DSED may have a role in the treatment of patients in refractory VF cardiac arrest. Instead of continuing to repeat the same treatments without success, DSED may offer us a way to stop the insanity and perform additional therapy for patients who do not respond to standard defibrillation. That was our feature article, Double Sequential External Defibrillation, What the Science Says by Ian Drennan and Dr. Sheldon Cheskis. Now stay tuned for an exclusive podcast Q&A with Ian Drennan, one of the co-authors of that article. Hello, this is Jonathan Bassett, Editorial Director at EMS World, and welcome to another EMS World podcast. We're very pleased today to welcome Ian Drennan. 
Ian is a paramedic educator and researcher in uh, Ontario. He is also a PhD candidate at St. Michael's Hospital and the Institute of Medical Science at the University of Toronto. Ian also wrote for EMS World the article, Double Sequential External Defibrillation, What the Science Says, and you'll be able to see that in our July 2020 issue. Um, Ian, welcome. Good to have you today. Great. Thanks very much, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, today we are talking about double sequential external defibrillation. Uh, just to start out with, Ian, if you could uh, just kind of introduce yourself to our mm -hmm. listeners, talk about your current EMS position, a little bit about your background, uh, the agency that you're with, and kind of what a uh, what a typical day is like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So currently, clinically, I work as an advanced care paramedic uh, in York Region, which is just uh, just north of Toronto. Uh, that uh, serves about a population of just over a million people. Um, and I also work uh, as a research program manager at Sunnybrook Research Institute and our base hospital, which is our medical oversight uh, committee for our paramedic services. Uh, and my third position I have is as a uh, faculty member at the paramedic program at Georgian College, uh, which is just north of that in, in Ontario. Okay, and talk a little bit about how you first became interested in the idea of uh, double sequential external defibrillation. This is something that uh, you know EMS World gets gets some uh, you know article submissions on, and we see some some um, small scale research here and there. But it's it's definitely uh, an an interesting and I think un, unexplored topic. So how did you how did you first become interested in uh, in this intervention for uh, for patients in VF? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And I think for me, the, uh, the, the real reason why I became interested in it is, is kind of exactly what you said, Jonathan, in, in that I think what you see in the literature right now is that there's a, there's a little bit of, of research on double sequential defibrillation for refractory VF patients, but there's really no clear answers as to if and when it should be used. And our interest in it in Ontario really started uh, but in 2016, there was a case report published on the use of double sequential defibrillation, which was one of our initial cases in, in, out of Sunnybrook in Ontario, where it was successfully used on a 28-year-old postpartum female um, who had gone into cardiac arrest. And the paramedics had, had gone in a roundabout way to patch through to the, the medical oversight physician uh, and, and explain about this double sequential thing that they had, they had heard. And so it was used in the field after a number of unsuccessful standard defibrillation attempts, and they had had success with it in that case. So that was kind of the one that um, has kind of started us looking at double sequential defibrillation in Ontario. And since then, it was it was used it was kind of sporadically um, and kind of off the cuff in certain cases where paramedics would would if they had thought about double sequential defibrillation. They could then patch through to the medical director uh, who would then have a discussion about whether or not it should be used. So we had a number of cases over the, the years after that, but they were done very much uh, at, at an ad hoc basis and done very much as a last ditch effort uh, when, when you know, standard treatment uh, had failed to work for those patients. And so, you know, even, even at that time where, where, it was being used typically late into resuscitations. Uh, we were still seeing some very interesting results that kind of got us thinking about uh, whether or not there might be something to this. 
So even though it might be used later on, what we were seeing is where standard defibrillation attempts hadn't worked. Um, we were seeing some success, and it was short-term success in things like uh, refract termination of refractory VF, or uh, in the field, we were seeing a, a lot more return of spontaneous circulation with it. And so it started to get people excited about the possibility of using it, uh, which, which led into some of the other research we did, and then further down the line into the trial that we, we just published uh, earlier this year. So you you mentioned that it that's historically it's sort of been used as a as a last ditch or kind of an ad on an ad hoc basis. Is this so? We're I'm, we're based in the U.S. You're in Canada. Is there any trends uh, between the nations? Is this practice more commonplace in Canada than the U.S. or or vice versa? Uh, have you have you looked into the uh, the frequency of of this this particular intervention in different systems? Yeah, great question. So as far as between the two countries, um, I mean, over, overall, I think what we've seen in the last little while uh, is that there has been increased attention and I think a lot of increased interest in this area and people starting to use it. Um, between the two countries themselves, I'm not sure if we see it more in one than the other. I know around our area uh, in Ontario, um, there's a lot of interest in it, especially since the, the publication of, of the pilot uh, RCT. Um, there's been a lot of interest in it. We're not seeing it done a whole lot more because what we're really waiting for uh, is the results of the of the full-scale randomized trial to, before we, we have an answer as to whether or not it works. But we're definitely seeing a lot of interest from paramedics, um, from physicians. And so the, you know, the, the questions are out there about how this works and if it works. And so um, it's definitely the interest is starting to become a lot more. As far as the U.S. is concerned, I think my I think I would have to say it's from my understanding it's probably very similar in that we're seeing a, a definitely a lot more interest being stirred up because of it, and and people it's starting to become on people's radar as as a potential treatment option. I don't know, and I don't think that it's in any. I mean, not that I know of, anyways. It could be out there somewhere in somebody's treatment guidelines, but I don't know of anyone using it. Uh, on a regular basis. So again, it tends to be more of these uh, one-off cases where people or paramedics may have heard about it or read about it and thought, you know, maybe this is something I could try for this patient. And so I think that's where we're seeing it more and more. But as far as being implemented in practice, I don't think, uh, like I said, at least that I know of, uh, that there's places that have implemented it as part of their treatment protocols. And I think that's probably because Based on the research that's out there, I think what we need is we need the results of the full trial to really understand the value of double sequential and really understand how this might impact patient care. So you mentioned the full trial, and your uh, your article for EMS World kind of uh, concentrates on the the pilot study. Can you talk a little bit about where you stand with uh, the full RCT? Are you still in the data gathering stage? Um, are there still patient encounters being um, you know being studied now? Uh, and then can you talk a little bit about the timeline on when you um, hopefully anticipate publication of the study? Yeah, for sure. So we're still in the we're still in the enrollment phase of the full RCT, and so part of this RCT, which makes it a bit unique for some of the other studies we've done, is that the pilot study that's been published was part of an internal pilot, 
And so what the internal pilot means is that we're still using all of the, all of the patients that were included in that study uh, in the pilot RCT as patients uh, in the full RCT as well. So we're, we have the patients that we, we have from that initial pilot. And on top of that, we've enrolled a number of other patients uh, in, into the full RCT as well. So we're continuing to enroll patients. We have currently five uh, paramedic services in Ontario that are participating with a sixth one, hopefully coming on board uh, in September. And so that will be our full enrollment for uh, the number of sites that we have. And we are aiming to enroll uh, 930 patients in this study, and we're around 250 patients in. So we still have a ways to go, um, but we think our plan for enrollment is to be done within the next couple of years. I know that when I when I read your article and when I read some of the other research into this particular uh, treatment, it's just it's it boggles my mind that this can even really be studied. I mean, there are so many confounding uh, variables. You you mentioned that this is something that is uh, occasionally um, or or frequently tried later on in a patient's arrest. And I, I just think of things like maybe all of the EMS providers are not familiar with with how to administer double sequential uh, defibrillation. So can you I guess can you talk a little bit about the challenges of, of this kind of study? It seems like it's there's so much more to it than just comparing a pill to a, a placebo. There are just so many more um, things going on. Um, so yeah, if you could just um, talk about the difficulty of this and maybe how you how you come to account for for some of these variables. Yeah, it's a great, great question and great, great point. There is definitely a lot to conducting this RCT. And I think the first thing would be, you know, that you have to give a big, a big hats off to the, the paramedic services that are involved because they've done a, a phenomenal job to date in, in enrolling patients in this study. And it's not only about enrolling patients, um, but getting patients enrolled at the right time, as you mentioned, is, is, is a critical part of this intervention. Because I think it's if you apply it late, like you know, if you apply anything too late in a cardiac arrest, the the probability that, that treatment's going to work, no matter what it is, uh, is significantly diminished if it happens to occur that much further into a cardiac arrest. So first off, you know, having all of the paramedics on board to really really work hard at trying to get this done at the right time is is extremely important for this intervention to work. When you look at the literature that's out there now, and this is what makes it so hard to say that you know, whether or not you should do it currently or, or even trying to interpret some of the studies that are there, it, it's difficult because all of them, when you look at the kind of the nuts and bolts of each one of the studies, they're all slightly different, which makes them very hard to compare. And that's, you know, it's just something that happens when we have a bunch of observational studies. It's not uncommon to see that, that they're all a little bit different just based on the different services. But one of the big differences is definitely that timing of that the double sequential shocks are applied. And in some cases, it gets applied a little bit earlier, you know, five or six shocks into the, into the arrest. Um, some of them, it's seven or eight or nine shocks where there's some patients as their first double sequential um, defibrillation. And so as you can imagine, uh, you know, when, when it's getting applied that late into the resuscitation, it becomes very unlikely that those patients are going to survive uh, with good neurologic status, no matter what treatment you provide at that time. The biggest thing for us from the randomized controlled trial perspective is that 
in in the studies that are there currently, uh, the the studies that are there currently, it is used um, at the discretion of either the paramedics or one of the other treating clinicians. And the main difference with this RCT is that it's a very protocolized uh, method of administration of double sequential. And so once they once the paramedic or once the paramedics have uh, provided standard defibrillation attempts, um, at, at three standard defibrillation attempts, and the patient remains in refractory ventricular fibrillation, at that fourth attempt is supposed to be the initial def- double sequential defibrillation. So it's being applied relatively early into a resuscitation. If you think about how long it takes to get to the fourth, fourth defibrillation, it's not that long. And the paramedics have done, like I said, a really, really uh, impressive job at making sure that the the double sequential defibrillation has occurred at the fourth or fifth uh, defibrillation attempt. And so over 90% of the time it's occurring at these, which is really, really important for the um, for, for looking at this intervention in, in clinical practice. And your article goes in um, into detail on the so, some of the purported mechanisms of, of action, but but you do say that it's not 100% uh, known, you know, how, how this could work and, and benefit patients in cardiac arrest. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that that's one of the other things that's still unknown about it is, is you know, the exact... Uh, mechanisms behind it. There's a variety of different um, suggestions about how it might work. One of the one of the really important parts about the trial, uh, we focus a lot on the double sequential piece of it, but what, but it's actually a three armed trial. So there's the standard defibrillations. There's the uh, the randomization to the double sequential defibrillation, but there's also randomization to a vector change defibrillation. And so instead of applying a second set of defibrillation pads and using two defibrillators. When you're randomized to that third arm, you will ins- you will instead you'll take off the first set of defibrillator pads and you'll apply the second set in an anterior posterior position. And so the idea behind that is to see if it's as effective or more effective than standard defibrillation to do a vector change, um, which we think is really important because it may also help to explain some of the mechanism behind this. But also from a practicality perspective, it, in a lot of services, if you think about a lot of services across Canada, and I know the United States as well, it can be difficult to get a second defibrillator to the scene sometimes in that really early uh, part of a cardiac arrest. And so this may also offer, if it's shown to be uh, effective or more effective than standard defibrillation, it may also offer a second option for places that may not be able to have two defibrillators, that this may also be um, a good treatment option for those services to treat refractory um, fibrillation as well. Yeah, that's actually uh, one of the questions I had for you. Obviously, we're very early in the course of your research, and there's a lot there's lots to uh, yet be looked at, but are there any lessons or, or guidelines or recommendations for EMS crews right now at this point? Is this something that, that you would um, recommend a, a crew uh, you know, given certain patient uh, criteria, is this something that you can confidently say you uh, you think crews can be using at this point? Yeah, it's really uh, to me. I think it's tough to tell. I think you know the the pilot study uh, is is very shows very promising results for sure. 
Um, I think that, you know, it's it, what we see in the pilot seems to be quite different from the, from the kind of uncontrolled, we'll call it observational stuff that happened before the pilot study. Um, so I know there's definitely lots of excitement about it. And we see lots of excitement within our paramedic services and kind of along the same lines as, well, if this, if we're getting such a increase in ROS rates, then why not, why are we continuing to do this? Or why, why do we not just you go with the intervention? Why are we still doing standard defibrillation? But I think there's a couple important points for um, maybe, you know, just taking a deep breath and making sure that we do it right so that we know what so that we get some high quality evidence to support um, the use of this practice. So the, the first thing is that the pilot study itself, even though it shows a difference um, between the arms in terms of return of spontaneous circulation, the actual point of, of the pilot and the point of uh, any um, pilot study is more to look at feasibility of an intervention to make sure that the intervention is working as you had planned it to work in the study and not necessarily to test differences between two arms. And so even though we found that there was quite a big difference as, as a secondary outcome, really the most important finding from that is that the intervention that we had planned for the study was being done well by the paramedics. And so we could continue doing it uh, as planned for the full RCT. So I think that was the first thing about, about the pilot results is just that because of the small sample size, we're not actually... Uh, it wasn't planned to compare the two differences. The second thing uh, I think that we have to be careful about as well is the outcome that we're looking at. And so what we've reported in the pilot study is return of spontaneous circulation. But what we don't see and what we what we don't haven't looked at yet, um, but will be the the outcome for the full RCT is looking at survival to hospital discharge. And so it's really important that even though we see a high increased a higher rate of ROSC, that we wait to see what it, the survival to hospital discharge looks like as being a more uh, patient-focused outcome and a more important outcome for studies like this. And so, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that that you see uh, a treatment that seems to have higher rates of ROSC. Maybe it doesn't pan out to show increased rates of survival. So it's 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 really important that we wait for the for the full results to see what's happening with survival to hospital discharge but, uh, between these different arms before we decide whether or not to include double sequential as part of standard practice. So it's too early to say that we'll have uh, reworked consumer AEDs then? Uh, no no four-pad AEDs yet on, uh, in buildings? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I, I think so. Although that might be that might be something in in the future, right? Is four pad AEDs or, or AD pads that uh, that wrap around the chest or something different to, to account for for some of this factor that we're seeing? But definitely too early to see big changes in manufacturing. I think. Interesting to think about. Well, uh, we want to thank you for your time today, Ian. Any any closing remarks, things that I didn't touch on uh, that you think our uh, readers and listeners might be interested to know? Are you looking at any other uh, areas of, of research that are kind of shaking things up? Um, just any closing takeaways today? Yeah, as far as double sequential, I don't think so. I think the the biggest thing is just, you know, that we'll keep, we'll keep getting more patients into the study. And I think people should just It'll be a little ways out, but um, keep looking for the for the results of the RCT, and I'm sure you know that might give us some some high quality evidence to where we can go with this this type of uh, 
treatment in the in the future. Terrific, and we hope you'll keep EMS World posted on the uh, the progress of the research and anything that um, you know is published along those lines. We do want to thank Ian Drennan again for uh, for his time on the phone with us today, and also the uh, the article that uh, that you submitted. Thank you so much. We appreciate you shedding some light on this very interesting topic, and uh, again, we look forward to seeing the the results of the. Uh, the research in the future. So thank you very much, Ian. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Jonathan. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.